another thing, if you allow, and I think we all do, any type of remote access into your systems, MFA, some sort of second factor, that's got to be like table stakes. You absolutely have to have that. If you don't have that, you need to push as hard as you can with your executives to get that in place. I know it's maybe a little bit of a conven inconvenience, but there are ways to make it fairly simple and straightforward to do, but it's an absolute must. And hopefully all of us have that today, but I'm always amazed when I talk to people that don't. You're listening to IAM Pulse, a podcast discussing all things identity access management, from defending against cyber attacks and to enhancing your overall cybersecurity strategy. This podcast is brought to you by BioKey International, an innovative provider of flexible, secure access management and biometric identity solutions. We're sitting down to talk about the impact of identity access management makes on you and your business. everyone and welcome to our session today on 2022 cyber predictions what's coming and what can we do about it uh, my name is Kimberly Biddings I am representing BioKey today and very excited about our session uh, it's a panel discussion that you definitely don't want to miss so to start with the conversation I definitely wanted to tee up a little bit of where we're at from the last let's say 12 months or even since the start of the pandemic and Truly, it's, it's unprecedented in terms of the changes that we're seeing. Um, really, overall, we saw an explosion of digital transformation, and right along that, we saw an explosion of cyber attacks. So some of these statistics that stand out in terms of the last 12 months or so when we take a look back is that ransomware really has taken over in terms of one of the key attack vectors uh, that cyber criminals are using. And so we've seen about a 40% growth since the start of the pandemic. And at this point, every 11 seconds, a business falls victim to ransomware. So if anybody wants to do the math out there and figure out exactly how many businesses during this session, uh, you can only imagine the impact that this is having globally. So huge increase in the ransomware attacks. And right along with that is the cost of a breach or a ransomware attack in general. According to that IBM cost of a data breach report from last year, it was 4.24 million is now the average cost of a breach. And it's just continuing to rise. Now, when we talked about the rapid digital transformation, right, a lot of businesses immediately had to go online into the cloud and offer different services than they did before, especially with the pandemic. And so we're seeing about a 97% of global companies reporting that accelerated adoption of technology, especially with uh, cloud migration and cloud adoption. Now, on the other side, uh, life hasn't really gotten any easier for IT and IT security teams. Uh, for any of you sitting in, in those roles, I really don't need to tell you that, um, but we're experiencing, right, the great resignation uh, and cyber talent shortage. Last I checked is about 3.5 million uh, gap or job uh, openings in terms of global need for cyber talent. And even CISOs, right? If we look at CISOs, 25% uh, have not taken time off in the last 12 months. So we're looking at burnout, low resources, and just a shortage in terms of expertise to be able to combat some of these challenges in cyber risk. And then finally, we're seeing an increase in the regulatory requirements. And what's really a compelling event right now is the cyber insurance requirements with a 20 to 50% rate increase in 2021. And we're seeing mandates and requirements for multi-factor authentication as well as other security controls to keep your insurance or avoid things like a, a doubling of your premium. 
So today, I'm really excited. Uh, this is going to be a great session. We are looking at a little bit of the past, what we've seen over the past 12 months, but then really looking into 2022. Is it going to be a lot of the same? Is it going to be new predictions? Um, but I'm very excited today as I'm joined by a panel of IT and cybersecurity professionals who really have that firsthand experience and perspective to share with all of you as to what it's like to manage these in, in real life and how they're going to adapt into the next year. So with that, um, I would like to get started and introduce our panel. Um, so we're gonna go around, do a brief introduction um, of yourselves uh, and, and kind of give it a bit about your role, organization and cybersecurity experience so that our audience can get to know all of you a little bit better. Um, so Ron, you're at the top of the list. Let's start with you, a uh, little introduction, a bit about uh, Guilford Technical Community College and some of your cybersecurity experience. Sure. Well, thank you, Kimberly. Glad to be here today. Really excited about uh, participating with this panel. I know we've got a lot of good information to get out today. So uh, my name is Ron Horn. I'm the Associate Vice President and CIO for Guilford Technical Community College. Uh, we're a, uh, uh, about the fourth largest technical community or community college in the state of North Carolina. Uh, one of 58 community colleges in the state of North Carolina. Uh, we have you know, upwards of 25,000, a few more uh, than that, students enrolled per year uh, with a lot of traditional courses and some non-traditional um, that we offer to our students. Um, so I have uh, been in the higher uh, education industry for a little over three years now, spent about 13 years prior to that in healthcare. Uh, where uh, and cybersecurity has pretty much been a part of my life um, ever since I got in IT. Uh, had it uh, was part of it while I was in the military and the federal government, and just carried that on into other industries. And so, uh, so we're just focused uh, a lot on on the attack vectors uh, within uh, uh, cybersecurity, uh, focused on cyber insurance, as a lot of other companies are as well. Uh, making sure that we are reducing our risk as much as possible. And I'm, I will get into this a little bit uh, later, but we uh, also were part, we were the victims of a cyber attack in September 20, or September 13th of 2020, uh, which is a real exciting time for our college. So, uh, but we'll get into that later. But once again, glad to be here and glad to be here with the rest of my colleagues. Excellent. Thank you, Ron. And yes, it's um, the firsthand experience you've shared with me is, is eye opening as to how to go through that cyber attack experience. Um, and so looking forward to sharing some of that with the attendees. Uh, Chuck, you're next on the list. Let's go to you. A uh, brief intro and, and kind of overview of PACAR and cybersecurity there. Great. Thanks, Kimberly. And thanks for pulling the panel together. I'm looking forward to it. <clears throat> so my name is Chuck Markarium. I am the Chief Information Security Officer for a company called PACAR. If you're in the trucking industry, you know us. We make Kenworth trucks, Peterbilt trucks, DOF trucks over in Europe, as well as winches and some other things. Um, I've been with the company about 17 years now, always had a security role in the company. Prior to that, I was with AT&T Wireless for several years and with Boeing Commercial Airplane Company for several years. <clears throat> I've always been in the IT field, about 20 plus years now in the security side of things. So my role, with PACAR is really related to the information technology and the securing of it. I do get involved with our manufacturing sites and securing of the OT environment 
and I work real closely with our product development teams on ensuring that the whole ecosystem around our vehicles is properly secured. Uh, now, as we have you know more of the connected type vehicles with our connected trucks, we're pulling data on and off. They become basically data centers on wheels. We have to provide the right protection for them, especially as we look to move forward with things like autonomous and electrified vehicles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There you go. So again, looking forward to the discussion. Thanks. Excellent. Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, IoT, um, some people say the term and Chuck, I believe you live it. So <laughs> that's an excellent perspective to bring as well. Um, and Bruce, uh, going to you from Cedar Crest College. Yes, hi, my name is Bruce Sardi, and I am the Director of Information Technology for Cedar Crest College. And we are a small liberal arts college in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We have a very heavy focus on sciences and health sciences and producing well-rounded graduates to the workforce. Um, I have been helping to secure and create efficiencies in educational institutions and their technology for going on about 30 years now. Um, and that includes K-12 and higher educational institutions. My experience in uh, the security field has been very focused on protecting the data that, um, that students, parents, families, and the institutions um, need to uh, keep secured and private and making sure that they don't have to worry about the security of their data no matter where they're going to school and what uh, might occur. Uh, in those environments, and um, I think that um, I'm sure Ron can attest to that it's it's a it's a bit of a unique um, ask when you're in education, and it's so difficult, and resources are tight, and you work with what you have, and I think that that is um, that creates a unique perspective on it. For sure, and and we do have quite a few uh, higher education folks uh, attending today. Um, you know, higher ed's one of those places I've always been surprised by it, how much uh, data and diverse data types that you have to manage and, and secure with, like you said, limited resources. Um, so Bruce, thank you. And, and we'll get more into those obviously uh, moving forward. And of course, last but not least, uh, John, um, please introduce yourself and say hi to everybody out there. Hey everybody, uh, I'm John Riley. I'm the Executive Director of IT and Enterprise Services at KQED, which is a public media, TV, and radio station in San Francisco. And I've been with the organization for six and a half years, and we also uh, were hit with a major ransomware attack back in June of 2017, mm -hmm. um, back in the golden age of ransomware, I guess. <laughs> and um, we we did not pay the ransom and we recovered uh, ourselves. We did not use uh, external vendors. So I have a lot to say about that experience, um, mm -hmm. which is at the end of the day actually been all all positive. So yeah, yeah. We we talked about it right. There was I think John before ransomware and John after ransomware uh, <laughs> in terms of in terms of perspective. Um, yeah. And John, you know, for everybody out there, in case you, you know, we always joke that ransomware seems to have just hit the news uh, in 2021, 2020, but 2017, you know, it was rampant and has been uh, for quite a long time. So um, fascinating experience that you bring to the table as well. Right after we were hit, the city of Atlanta was hit. I think it was within a month oh, or yeah. two. Yep, I remember that case. That was right. And that's, like I said, 2017, 
Uh, general public wasn't as aware about it. Um, now I think everybody who watches the news, right, hears about it. Um, but I remember, I think it was Hollywood Presbyterian was 2000, Ron, you might know, 2012. Uh, I believe it was that early, if not even before. So while back. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a while. Um, and so that's that's getting into kind of the the first topic we wanted to cover uh, with our panel today, right? We are going to look forward into 2022, um, but we did want to look at the past 12 to 24 months because we've just seen such unprecedented changes and huge challenges um, as organizations are trying to tackle cybersecurity. Uh, so when each of you look back over the last 24, 12 months, wherever you want to, you know, draw that line. Uh, what were some of your biggest security concerns, challenges, um, and or projects? Uh, Chuck, let's start with you uh, with this one. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, everybody talks about COVID and the remote workforce, and that was a bit of a challenge, but for us, that wasn't too bad. We were relatively prepared for it. We're pretty locked down and restricted all what we do with PCs. So it was really just a matter of how did we address people who didn't have laptops? That part of it was a change for us. Um, hmm. We had to quickly shift and make sure we had the, all of our um, third factor authentication in place and then set up either virtual sessions or BDI sessions in the cloud that people could connect to and still do their work. So we shifted real quick over about a two week period and got our users up and running. So that was a challenge, but, uh, but it's been a, a big success story for IT and for our security side and for the business. <clears throat> and, um, and how long, sorry, Chuck, how long did it actually shut down operations, uh, if it did at all, for, for PACAR? Um, it was not really much shutdown of operations for us. We kept things running pretty smoothly. Uh, some individuals didn't have as much access maybe as they would have liked to have had, but from an operation standpoint, things kept moving along. Okay. So really, really minor minor business disruption. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, and then, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, you know, some of the other things that we looked at, yeah. you know, over the time, third party risk is a big one for us. Um, we're doing more stuff in the cloud and also third party risk in terms of regulations. We're a global company. So we have the UNECE, United Nations Economic Commission for Europe and some of the regulations around that that we have to deal with. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically some things around our connected vehicles and some tight, tight security controls that we have to get implemented here in the next year on those. Uh, so that's been a big challenge for us is to really get a good handle on third-party risk, supplier risk. Uh, another thing I think, you know, and this came up too when you look at Log4j and the, the challenges mm -hmm. with that is, do you have the grasp on your assets, both software and hardware that you really want to have? Can you quickly respond? Do you know where those vulnerabilities are? And I think that's an area that's going to, you know, continue to grow and develop. Everybody wants to have that CMDB type solution in place, yet it's very, very difficult to implement and manage long term. So those are some of the things for me. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, any of the other panelists having to deal with Log4j or... Um... I would assume cloud migration out there. Yeah, we were, um, um, when March 13th came around um, that day, we um, we moved to a remote environment um, within about three days. Uh, we implemented a, a collaboration tool uh, and rolled it out within about three days. We were right in the middle of a semester. Uh, so couldn't have had better timing. Uh, <laughs> From that perspective, but it, you know, a good thing about my team uh, is they were all hands on deck, 
uh, and the folks were ready. Uh, we implemented the collaboration tool um, and got everybody online. Uh, Chuck mentioned, and I'm sure John and Bruce had to do the same thing, but we were throwing laptops out left and right, uh, trying to get them into people's hands who didn't have them right. uh, and uh, uh, allow them to uh, maintain or establish and maintain connectivity while they were away. All the while, we were rolling out you know, our SIM tool, um, uh, implementing controls. Um, John or uh, Chuck talked a little bit about uh, third-party uh, vendor management. We use uh, what's called a HECVAT, a higher education mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, community vendor assessment tool. Um, so it's a bit, that's a whole mouthful, but we use that as a as a measuring stick, if you will, for all of our vendors um, coming in to do business with the organization and try to help reduce our risk that way. Um, and over that 24 month period, you're talking about just as we thought, um, um, well, actually about the time, what is it? COVID 1.5 hit or whatever, um, <laughs> whatever version, yeah. yeah, whatever version it was in September, we were hit by a cyber attack. Um, and that, uh, uh, and we were down for a couple of days, which wasn't bad. Um, but, uh, you know, John spoke a little bit about it earlier. We, 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 rebuilt from greenfield so we started fresh uh, we assumed everything was dirty at that point re re-imaged the team re-imaged over 4,000 devices endpoints uh, we rebuilt the entire infrastructure um, and we uh, had some assistance from some federal agencies uh, uh-huh. during that time and uh, so it was it was very helpful um, but uh, john mentioned kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier um, maybe it was a blessing in disguise. Um, you know, we learned a lot of valuable lessons at the time, but those were kind of, uh, you know, one of our one of our biggest challenges uh, of projects and things, all while trying to do our day job, right? Right, or right. Keep business going as usual or school going as usual, right? So that was us for for about 24 months. And and folks out there usually ask and will ask. So paid the ransomware, did not pay the ran- pay the ransom. Yeah. Okay. Did not. And then <laughs> John's like, I didn't either. Um, and then the 4,000 machines uh, still blows my mind when you first told me that. What time frame did you have to re-image all those machines? You know, I, it, everything is yesterday. Uh, we know when you're in an operational environment and business has to continue, um, you know, we're there to serve our students and the students are, are ex- expecting to be able to take classes or to be taught. Um, I'll just say, uh, Kim, that the whole process probably took us about five or six months, mm-hmm. you know, where we were at 90 plus percent. Um, but we were, you know, we were imaging devices, you know, left and right while the infrastructure team was rebuilding the virtual environment mm-hmm. and, and things. So, yeah, so it was just, we prioritized things. Uh, the, the, my team, along with the senior leadership team, you know, I took what my team was working on and got with the rest of the senior leadership team and we prioritized who would go first. You know, who needs to be imaged first? What applications uh, based on our disaster recovery or business continuity plan? What applications need to be restored uh, or uh, rebuild or restored from backups? Uh, and that's just kind of how we progressed over that five or six month period. Right, right. Very systematic and start knocking down the fires. 
and and John, so 2017, was it any different? I mean, now we're in the, the land of ransomware. I'd assume, uh, you know, 2017 looks about the same. We were being attacked in the same methods. So how was your experience and, you know, recovering from that? Uh, it was, uh, we, did, we don't have the a user base that Ron, uh, that Ron has. Um, we're a company of about 500, which was plenty for, for my small team. But uh, like Ron said, we took the opportunity to actually uh, move our cybersecurity uh, landscape to the 21st century. We, we, mm -hmm. it, was, it was the first opportunity the organization has really had um, since, you know, we were incorporated in the 50s to actually just start over and not have all of these various uh, generations of ailing technology and software and settings. Mm -hmm. uh, and so on, on the one hand, uh, we had engineers that were redesigning, uh, restoring our Active Directory. Active Directory was the key uh, critical compromise piece. It was yeah. a hacked vendor account and I could go on for two hours about giving vendors anything other than, you know, basic level access accounts. Anyway, that was a vendor account was hacked. They went sideways. They compromised our uh, corporate systems. So we pivoted and just redesigned everything, assuming that the virus was still out there. Mm -hmm. We were just, it turned out that a lot of our uh, most of our employees could get their work done with internet access because we had moved a lot of our critical services to cloud-based platforms. Um, not all of them, but a lot of them. And so our, our approach was to just wipe laptops, put them back out there with only access to the internet as we rebuilt our uh, enterprise side of things. Mm -hmm. I add the computers back to Active Directory, did not let people connect with VPN. Until we had all of those internal systems hardened, we just assumed people were out there getting infected, right? right. So when we were ready to bring all of those users' machines back into the domain, we re-imaged them a second time, put all of our new suite of controls, et cetera, and then rolled them back out. So mm -hmm. like Ron said, it was we were probably finished, happened in June. We were probably largely finished in February, March. Uh, okay. with, with a team at the time that was only eight people. So yeah, yeah. Still looking at the six months plus to to get out of that situation. Any highlights from the last twelve months? So, like you said, compelling event to get more cyber investment. You know, there's a there's a silver lining to the dark cloud. Um, yeah. But how about last twelve months and any key investments just to highlight uh, before yes. I turn it over to Bruce? Absolutely. So KQED had just, in 2019, we started renovations of our headquarters studio in uh, San Francisco. So we had moved all of our operations to a temporary space downtown, including our FM broadcasting. So all that we did, FM broadcasting from a new rental temporary space downtown. Then the pandemic hit right in the middle of renovations. So we had this huge construction project. Everybody went remote from a, a, a temporary location anyway, which actually wasn't that hard because we had been converting people to laptops for a couple of years prior. So we were actually ahead of the curve on that. But within the pandemic, so my staff had to support this new remote paradigm 
We also had to get this our corporate headquarters rebuilt. Right. And out of our temporary space downtown without ever interrupting broadcast. So, you know. <laughs> you do have that live always, element. Always <laughs> any of my panelists last 12 years to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the uh, live element of your, um, you know, the show must go on business uh, is, is extreme. Um, and so, Bruce, uh, any, any highlights for you for the last 12, 24 months? Uh, that you want to share as well? Well, I, I don't have the exciting stories to tell that John and Ron have to tell, but I have to say that that one of the things I want to mention before I talk a little bit about what we do is that one of the big takeaways that folks should probably have today are the time frames that it's taking to recover for, I mean, look at Ron, who, mm -hmm. who have a much bigger user base than John, but even John it's months, it's not days, it's not hours. It is an extended period of time. And so security is a, is a very serious concern because we want to prevent that. Right. Yeah, I know John was redesigned, but they were rebuilding things, which was really cool. Um, but I can tell you if we got hit in, in a way that John or Ron was, we don't we wouldn't have those opportunities to to do the things in the way that they did them. It would be a very different story here. Now, the upside is that we've spent a lot of time, you, you mentioned in, in the slide, 12 to 24 months, we've been spending three or four years um, trying to put together a holistic, multi-layered approach to security mm -hmm. um, in an environment that hadn't really thought about it before. It was a everything on or everything off type of security environment for everyone. And uh, the reality of that is that it either prevents people from doing the work they need to do, right. um, or it opens the door so wide that anyone can come in and do anything they want. And so data was um, exposed and people didn't even know it. They, they had no real uh, grasp on the potential for disaster that existed. So we spent time, we created this layered approach. Um, we, I, I think that as IT professionals and folks probably watching um, can probably identify with is that IT had spent probably decades um, looking from the outside in, keep people out. Yeah. How do we keep people out of our network? How do we keep people off of our machines, which is necessary? Mm -hmm. um, we as a community, um, got comfortable with our typical antivirus, anti-malware, anti-whatever you want to call it type products, our endpoint protection products, that, and they would do the job. And what we're learning over, over the past five, six years that ransomware has come is that it just doesn't work. Right. Or, I'm sorry, it doesn't work for that sort of a situation. So we've put together a layered approach. We have a situation here at Cedarcrest where, sure, we get infections, we get things, um, but our systems are able to compartmentalize, contain, and and restrict the the I'm going to call it infections. We'll just call it infection for lack of a better term. And so those are the things that we've really started to get um, better at over the past 24 months. And as we rolled in, I think someone or maybe it was on the slide mentioned the idea of uh, cyber insurance. You mm -hmm. can't, can't get it if you if you don't have certain places, certain pieces in place. Right. or you're paying two times, three times, four times what you're paying before if you don't have it. So we have focused on checking those boxes, making sure that those layers are in place in addition to the things that we had been previously doing to keep that layered security approach in place from the outside in, from the inside out, and then that middle piece that creates the gap between a bad day and a disaster. 
Mm-hmm. Um, bad day for one person and disaster for the organization. So that's really been our focus for the last two years. Um, and, and we continue to do that. Um, that's our, it, it never ends, let's put it that way. That's our yeah. focus moving forward. It really never ends, especially with the newer multifaceted attacks that we're seeing. Right. Yeah, it, it really doesn't. Right. I don't I don't think the job is ever done. Um, and I think one interesting concept uh, is, is zero trust. Right. Buzzword framework, however you feel about it. Um, what I heard in terms of the attacks is that we didn't know what was dirty. Right. We didn't know where it stopped. And that really has become the challenge is there is no perimeter. There's no, you know, how far does it go kind of question. Um, it's just an assumption that it could be anywhere. Um, and I think that that's really changed people's security perspective over time. Um, so jumping into some of the the looking forward, right? We just talked a lot about um, how you all have dealt with significant challenges, um, continuing to evolve for the the past two years or so. Um, and so we wanted to look forward, right, in terms of the the core for the presentation and say, okay, what is it looking like now? We're looking ahead for the next twelve months. Um, lots of the same. Are we seeing things uh, radically change? Um, so what is your cybersecurity prediction or predictions uh, for 2022? Um, Ron, let's start with you for this one. Um, so I, I was rubbing the crystal ball a lot last night and it was cloudy. <laughs> um, that's a, it's a great question. I think just as you were talking about that, Kimberly, I was thinking about Log4j and the impact to to the nation, um, to the world, right. um, and what what all uh, it can touch or it has touched is currently touching and will continue to touch uh, for some time now. I think we're going to see a continuous um, barrage of attacks on systems that are more common mm-hmm. um, uh, throughout the industry, no matter, so whether you're in healthcare, manufacturing, retail, higher education, um, you know, whatever it is, industry you're in, the application that's common across, you know, across all of those industries like Log4j was, I think we're going to see um, a continuation of attacks on those vectors because it's a numbers game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you look at vulnerabilities uh, for I- injections or things that could happen with one application, you narrow down uh, the groups that that could affect. But if you're attacking something that is so uh, broad or has a wide spectrum of outreach, uh, you, your numbers greatly increase, and your chances are that you're going to infect something and get a win, if you will. Uh, in the attacker's case, I think we're going to we're, I think we're going to see that continue. I mm-hmm. think the other th- one of the other things. Uh, how many are we allowed, Kimberly? Um, the uh, we'll give you two, Ron, and then okay. and just in the, case you steal everybody the, else's. <laughs> the second one and final one for me is um, I think uh, uh, recruitment of talented uh, security professionals. Um, I think is going to continue to grow and diversify. I think from that perspective, I think the industry is going to look, um, you know, where they were so rigid about certain qualifications or certifications before. I think we're going to see some expansion there um, and some consideration, uh, more consideration given towards experience um, and current state as to uh, what the person has been working on. So I think the talent 
pool uh, uh, competition is going to get continue to be fierce for a while. Totally agree. The, the vulnerabilities, uh, when I worked at a, a security um, ratings organization, we looked at patching and vulnerabilities and the cadences. I think it was something like four years is the average uh, vulnerability, you know, basically exposure and like out there and unpatched and remains unpatched um, in terms of vectors. So even though we know they exist, we have solutions for them. Keeping up with that cadence is, is very, very hard. Um, Chuck, how about you? Predictions for 2022. Uh, which ones do you have out there? Well, yeah, I would echo everything Ron just said first off. Um, I think the the whole resource thing is is going to continue to be a challenge, and you know, folks like Ron and Bruce in higher education, that's a tough one. I mean, we all know there's just not a lot of resources available there, so it's hard to get them. Even for ourselves, we're a 26 billion dollar company, but attracting and not only attracting but retaining resources. Um, mm -hmm. We're seeing salaries that are two and three x sometimes what they're what you're paying them, so it's hard to retain that really good talent. Um, and I think, again, to what Ron said, is looking at alternate sources for the talent, looking for skill, looking for experience. When I'm interviewing people, I look for people who, who are curious and who have a passion. I don't really care all that much how much security training they have. If they have a passion for it, they're interested in it, and um, they're curious, we'll, we'll train them and develop them. So I look for those traits. Um, as far as other, other predictions, you know, I think... We will continue to see ransomware attacks and we'll continue to see a rise in that. Um, mm -hmm. There's been some threats about government regulations and those things about paying ransom. So anytime you start to see that happen, you see a, a potential money source starting to dry up. So what's going to happen is everybody jumps on that money source hard and heavy for a period of time. So I really think that we're going to see ransomware attacks continue to, to, to hit us hard for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that all of these various increasing regula regulations, like I talked about on the UNACE, those are going to make all of our jobs incredibly difficult. Um, it's one thing to have a secure environment. It's a whole other thing to have a compliant environment. You know, right. personally, I'm secure over compliant, but you have to have both in many cases. So there's a lot of challenges to get in place. And sometimes those regulations that come out are sound really great on paper and theoretically are awesome but implementing those is a challenge and i think we're going to see a lot of challenges with that um, over these next couple of years I'll, I'll leave it with those no those are fantastic and it's uh i i always think of compliance regulations like expanding and contracting right they they become like really intense and then they figure out no one can implement this so we we contract and right now we're in that explosion mode of just regulations and you know even the government mandates and the latest article I read on like how come the government couldn't deploy MFA in six months, you know, what happened? And it's like that's a challenging thing to do. So um no no surprise there. Um Bruce, how about you? Predictions. Well, I wanna I wanna jump on the uh the resource bandwagon here real quick, yeah. um, because I, I am hiring right now. And okay. I can absolutely attest to the idea that the power is in the hand of the job seeker right now. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's going to change anytime really soon. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Ron mentioned how we're going to start seeing a more focused need for security professionals. Specifically, we're going to look for experience. We're going to look for real hands that can get in the pie and, and fix it. But that is going to come at an ever-increasing cost to organization. That number isn't going down. Um, and, and I think Ron is also right that we're going to see more and more people available to do this. But 
but that's not going to have the traditional effect where we see more people doing something, which means that they are now coming at a lower price tag. It's going to be just the opposite um, right. because I think that we're also going to see compliance become more of an issue on paper. You know, Chuck pointed out the difference between secure and compliance, right? It's not the same thing. But right. to be taken, um, you know, for for people to take you at your word, you've got to be compliant. And so that's going to be important. And the resources have to be there to make that happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think that um, we're going to see the attacks continue to become more complex, more layered, more um, diverse in the way they um, not only come at us, but then also the damage that they do. It's not enough to, you know, the ransom is one thing, pay it, don't pay it. You know, Chuck alluded to the idea, I think that, um, um, you know, as the, as money goes from one place to another, people jump on it. Um, but it's not just going to be about the money coming uh, again. So I think that those are some of the things that we're going to see uh, coming up. For sure, for sure. And John, last but not least, poor John, I, I had you last on the other intros, but we'll, we'll put you first next one, John. <laughs> okay, I would say predictions for 2022. I think we saw a large number, an increasing number of AWS outages last year um, for different reasons, but I think that's only going to get worse. Uh, the Log4j situation really exposed that when you have a vulnerability with something ubiquitous like Apache, that it's, I mean, will it ever actually be uh, resolved because right. that technology is pretty old and it's and it's absolutely everywhere. So I think the day is coming, the day, you know, the when when the cloud, uh, the big cloud compromises start happening. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's inevitable along these lines. And what keeps uh, me up at night, um, I think Ron's crystal ball is cloudy because he didn't run his software updates on it. So <laughs> bad Ron. But what <laughs> up at night is social engineering, which is also is the piece that generally I think a lot of strategy, cybersecurity strategies uh, forget or avoid, uh, which is really to me the most crucial because as we get better and better at hardening our systems and, and uh, defense and layers, right, defense and depth, mm -hmm. technological controls become harder and harder to um, breach people will just start showing up at your business and uh, tricking their way onto premises or leaving infected thumb drives or, uh, you know, spear phishing, phishing, um, all, all kinds of tricks, uh, calling help desk with a recorded baby crying in the background and an urgent sense of, of yeah. password that people are always, this is broad strokes, but generally people are the weakest link in cybersecurity. Right. right. People, people, yeah. people push for convenience. Cybersecurity is, is the ongoing tension between secure and convenient. And right. users, including myself, push for convenience. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that's our fatal flaw. And social engineering in some ways may actually get the keys to the kingdom faster than any other method. So Mm -hmm. I think I think we'll see a, a rising awareness of social engineering and how hard it is to spot. Right, right. Um, now these are these are actual excellent predictions. We're going to jump forward to the 
um, recommended advice, I will throw out my prediction, which is somewhat controversial, and I think passwords will still be here at the end of 2022. I, I've been, I mean, you know, we've been talking about the end of the password and the death of the password for my whole career, which isn't that as long as everybody else on this call. Um, but like, they're just not going anywhere. And I, I think, you know, the sessions on like getting rid of the password and everything for me, um, I put that prediction out there also as a challenge to all of us that we got to be better than this. You know, like we have to get to a point where we're just, we're not talking about getting rid of them or removing them, but we actually do it and start putting plans in place to do it. And regardless of your organization's size, it's possible to do that. Um, and you have to get the project plan in place and start working with change management, which I think is the other really hard thing to do about it. Um, but unfortunately, my prediction is that the top, you know, 100 passwords to break, the top one will still be password one, two, three, four, five. Maybe we'll get to six and seven at the end of that. But like, unfortunately, I think I think we're still going to be talking about the same thing, uh, you know, come the end of the year. Um, all right. So great predictions. Uh, we're going to turn it over um, to wrap things up. But, you know, everybody listening out there, the predictions are great. Hearing the real life stories are fantastic. Um, but, you know, what advice do you have for the audience, right? As, as everybody's listening in, it's like, okay, I've gotten all this information. We're getting attacked, right? We always talk about those. Um, let's do one piece of advice each. What would be your one piece to share with folks out there when they start thinking about their cybersecurity strategy in 2022? Uh, John, I am going to start with you this time, uh, as promised. So, okay, uh, I would say, uh, regardless of the size of IT department or resources or budget you have, prioritize two things. One is removing local admin privileges for for end users. Just broad statement: <laughs> do not give end users local yeah. admin privileges. If you have the budget and the staff, I, I advocate for what Microsoft calls LAPS, which is the local admin password solution, which mm -hmm. constantly changes. It's an attachment. It's, a, it's like a sidecar to Active Directory that constantly changes at, at intervals that you set uh, mm -hmm. the local admin passwords for your servers and your end users. It's great. But if nothing else, just remove their admin privileges. Um, and second, uh, which is a little bit more expensive and a little bit more time consuming, but would would have saved us in 2017, would have saved the Ukraine over the weekend. And that is an application control system, a system that flags any unknown executables that try to run or forbidden executables that have tried to run on any machine. I'm presuming Windows and Active Directory mm -hmm. in the statement, um, because if we had had uh, comprehensive application control in 2017, the ransomware executable, which was called uh, followed2.exe, would not have been able to launch. So. Okay. okay, great. And yeah, the security, I'm a security policy person, right? Like, don't start implementing until you got your policies and your people noted and down and understand them. Security policies should be on the application level as well. So, you know, best practice there um, also. Uh, Chuck, advice for the audience. What do, you yeah, have? do what John said to start, because those are definitely <laughs> okay. check those two boxes. <laughs> Another thing, if you allow, and I think we all do, any type of remote access into your systems, MFA, some sort of second factor, that's got to be like table stakes. You absolutely have to have that. If you don't have that, 
you need to push as hard as you can with your executives to get that in place. I know it's maybe a little bit of a conven inconvenience, but there are ways to make it fairly simple and straightforward to do, but it's an absolute must. And hopefully all of us have that today, but I'm always amazed when I talk to people that don't. And the other thing, and this is the, the non-exciting part about security, everybody likes the shiny tools and all the cool things that are out there. Just, just wash your hands, get good at the general hygiene, hygiene, patch your systems. Patch, 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 patch. A vulnerability can't take advantage against right. something that's been patched for. So put a heavy focus on that. I, people ask me all the time, I say, if, if I could only do one thing, if you only allowed me one thing I could do in security, is we would be the absolute best at patching um, because that'll take away probably 95% of your, your real risk. So just those would be my two things is MFA and patching, general hygiene. Those are fantastic, and I, I love that they are not very futuristic. They are brass tacks, get it done, uh, you know, best practices. So those are those are fantastic. Um, Ron, uh, going to you. So, um, well, what John and Chuck said. Um, <laughs> We're building but, a whole cybersecurity strategy for the audience at this point. I know, right? <laughs> so, uh, from an administrative perspective, I'm going to go that route. Um, and say train and educate everyone in 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 your path. Yeah. I don't think that you can do enough training and educating um, of your you know of your staff, your faculty, your um, other employees, your peers, whomever it is, uh, to include your leadership team. Um, I think it's very important to get everyone involved, and it's a tough sell for a lot of organizations. Um, you know unless you've been hit, uh, but fortunately we had started it beforehand and it still sometimes won't prevent it. Uh, you can run a program for years and you'll still have people who just love to click on links. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's, just, that's just the way that it is. But education um, and training um, is probably one. And then the second one, I think Kimberly is um, something that we all, most of us, probably a lot of us struggle with is, um, is getting the attention that we need uh, from the organization, from the leadership team. And so um, my second thing is, is socializing, socializing the accomplishments and uh, what it is that the uh, security team um, or your IT team is doing to the leadership team so that they can see that there's an ROI uh, for, for the investment that they're making. So we're not just ticket takers. Mm -hmm. um, and so they can actually see uh, you know, a current state of where you are or where you were and a future state of where you're going in that roadmap and keep socializing those things to the leadership team. I think those are my two things. Those are fantastic. I mean, they say, right, um, IT and security professionals are getting time with the board. They're getting time now with executives. Use it. And I would, always, you know, I'll echo that too, where um, we always said, like, don't speak geek, which is, you know, somewhat crass, but very true. Like, Talk about reputational damage, revenue impact, competitors stealing your lunch. You know, uh, I'm in marketing. We talk about what's the value to them. You know, arc articulate it in a way that they'll understand why it's so important. Um, so I think that's huge. Uh, yeah, Bruce. Just, just one sorry, other yeah, little tiny thing on that, um, mm -hmm. Kimberly, is just showing those numbers, yes. if you will, of the, of the amount of, ta of attacks that you're getting as an organization in the tens of thousands on a daily basis is a real eye-opener for, for a lot of leadership teams. Yeah, I don't think they realize how many are happening that you're blocking, and if they knew, they they would be up at night too, would be my guess, um, sure. 
and Bruce bringing us home. <laughs> well, I think I think I'm gonna you know jumping off a little bit of what Ron was saying um, is that education is one of the biggest components to a secure infrastructure. And Ron talked a, a little bit about testing and and educating your people, and that is super important. But also, it is just as important to educate um, up, right? So you educate out, but you want to educate up as well. Ron talked about showing the number of attacks, but and and you said don't speak geek, right? So and that's absolutely um, a key component of being able to explain those attacks, explain what they mean, and and um, illustrate the value of the success of blocking right. those attacks or um, even being able to distribute the information of we actually had X number of infections this year and we remediated them or we prevented damage or we, those are very important components for any technology team who actually does have someone's ear today or tomorrow or whenever it is to be able to illustrate the value up and out at the same time. Because when you, when you illustrate out, you build confidence in the constituency. When you illustrate up, you build confidence in those people who, um, who can make the decisions to, to fund your project, to add resources to your team, maybe before you have a situation where you have to spend six, seven, eight months re-imaging laptops and creating new infrastructure. Um, and the second part for me is to make sure that your team has awareness. So what I mean by that is know what's going on in your infrastructure, know what's going on in your network, know what's going on outside your network. Make it more than just one person or two people or a small team. It's important because when we share information across disciplines, even in technology disciplines, it helps us to connect the dots better and prevent potential issues before they happen. So I think those are the two big things um, that I think are important that are different maybe than what everyone else said. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, everybody um, nowadays is, is has to be aware of cyber from, you know, the person in HR to the executive to the entire IT staff. Um, it's all of our responsibility, and I think that's a that's a great point. Um, all right, so we're going to wrap up. Um, to our audience, I hope you enjoyed today's session. Uh, it was just tremendous to hear these firsthand perspective and advice um, from our panelists. Uh, there will be a survey that will pop up at the end of the webinar that will just ask you what's your 2022 uh, cyber prediction. So if you have different ones or you want to share any, uh, we would love to hear them. Uh, also encourage you to subscribe to our blog uh, on biokey.com uh, to check out news and hot topics. We post weekly on a lot of these subjects we've covered today as well as additional ones. Um, so we're going to open it up to questions real quick um, for our panelists. We did get one uh, from Alan in the audience. Um, and the question was, are you having trouble getting cyber insurance now that you've had a breach? And has your renewal skyrocketed? So that's probably for folks that experienced it firsthand uh, or, or maybe implications otherwise. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one first, Kimberly. So. Um, as far as having trouble, it de depends on your definition of trouble. Um, any Most people will do anything for a certain dollar amount, um, as we've discovered. Um, the tough part is, is getting reinsured after a cyber attack or getting underwritten again. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that will be a challenge. I will tell you uh, from experience that, you know, our incident happened in 20, September of 2020, and, and we went to be rewritten again last spring and the requirement not only the premiums 
but the requirements uh, of the uh, insurers uh, as far as checklists or questionnaires probably quadrupled mm -hmm. uh, in not only in volume but in complexity as far as you know you must have multi-factor authentication you must have privilege access management you must have uh, uh, air gaps in your backups um, then the list just went on and on so yes it, uh, it it is more challenging uh, it can be done um, but I would just uh, talk to your peers and and shop around and see what the requirements are and most importantly see what you're covered for uh, during an incident or a, mm -hmm. a, a cyber attack mm -hmm. John, how about okay, go ahead, quickly, Kimberly to yeah. regardless of whether you've had a breach or not the questions are getting harder they're getting more educated. And even if you haven't been breached, cyber insurance costs are going up two and three X across the board. So even if you haven't been in a breach, expect to pay significantly more at your next renewal. Mm -hmm. And I would say my other advice I'd give folks uh, just hearing kind of the horror stories is check with procurement and know when your renewal date is. Um, I had someone come up to me at a recent uh, conference and procurement had held on to the renewal thinking it's just like every other year we've renewed and gave the IT director the requirements list a month before it was due. So now basically he had to scramble and implement uh, multi-factor in less than 30 days, which I would not recommend. Um, so that's the other thing is, is I think typically it's been a bit on auto, autopilot, realize it's going to be a stricter control um, when you get it. Any other comments on cyber insurance related to attacks that, um, Either John or Bruce, have you seen it at all? We just, uh, I, in the uh, this year, this calendar year, I uh, went through the uh, a, a new cyber insurance uh, checklist that has gotten uh, almost ridiculously uh, <laughs> granular and long compared to what what we had back in 2017, which actually did cover us. Right. A lot of the things that, that the insurance requires now has taken us years to get to um, and maintain. Um, but and I think, you know, they they're asking for more than I think they most most entities can deliver because the there were questions about do you have a warm site? Right. Do you have a do you have a space available that's ready for in disaster? Do you have a hot site ready? Mm -hmm. that has got data and coffee. You know, it's it gets to the point where you're just like, are you who, are you kidding me? Like. <laughs> But um, the more of those you have that you say you're compliant with, obviously your premiums are less. Right, right. Yeah, it's, um, listen, I was in cyber risk before uh, this role and some of the biggest consumers of the data was insurance companies and they're trying to offset that risk, you know, right. and there's going to be a point when it's offset so much, it, you know, is it worth it? It's, it's not a question we're addressing right now, but that's another consideration. Um, but I, I, yeah. One thing I want to say about cyber insurance policies, it is a known tactic for uh, intruders, ransomware folks, to get into your network and try to find your policy. Yeah. They'll set the policy at what the lip, they'll set the ransom at what the policy limit is. Yeah. I kid you not. So oh, the no, recommendation yeah. is to not store your cybersecurity policy on your network. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah, they've actually been going into uh, or trying to hack the actual cyber insurers, right, and see who has the biggest uh, payout, and let's go figure out how to get that. Um, it is 
it's a business. You know, you're looking for your target market. That's it to go after. Um, all right, one last uh, quick question for you all. Um, budget increase. So is your cyber in, uh, budget increasing this year or staying the same or being reduced? Uh, Chuck, let's start with you. Um, I, I'm not going to, it, it's probably going up a little bit. I, I should okay. say it is going up a little bit. But really, it's not giving me the ability to increase a lot of things. Um, okay. You know, there's, there's just price increases by vendors, paying more for people, that sort of thing. So yeah, it's going up a little bit, but really pretty steady state, I would say. Okay, uh, Bruce, how about you? Yeah, our overall budget was cut. Um, now um, I have allocated more towards this out of what I do have than I normally do. And it, but again, going back to the idea of discussing resources, it just means I have fewer resources or less resources to do, to do other things. Mm -hmm. um, but that's more pandemic related. That's not really um, a response or not a response to the current climate of cybersecurity. It's just, it's the pandemic. It's just a resource. Yeah, I know in higher ed, the enrollments have been significantly impacted for, you know, uh, you folks in, in, double digit percentages. So it's it's been painful for higher ed overall. Um, John and Ron, up, same, down, how about cyber budget? Yeah, I would say uh, we, since 2017, we've basically uh, modernized every one of our systems across the board, uh, end user, enterprise, broadcast. So we, we're at, at a current state, we've spent a lot of capital to get mm -hmm. us new uh, headquarters. Um, but we're also uh, increasing connection speeds at our different locations, you know, 10G versus 1G. Um, and we're doing some other initiatives around business continuity and disaster preparedness. Mm -hmm. We do live in San Francisco, so, you know, just a Somewhat volatile, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Ron, how about you? Yeah, so for us, um, we did see a, a, a pretty sizable increase in our security budget, um, you know, around uh, attracting you know, and retaining talent um, to finish some of the implementations that we were starting um, during our cyber attack and to add on to those, uh, you know, where we don't have a large uh, uh, number of people in our shops, if you will, um, and resources are, are spread pretty thin, and the amount of responsibilities that each of my folks have to take on is, is pretty immense. Uh, we're having to contract uh, some services like SOC as a service, mm -hmm. uh, where you have vulnerability management or concierge type services 24-7. Uh, we're having to look at, at those things, so we had a, a pretty good increase this year, and that will probably continue for the next few years. Okay. That makes sense. All right, everybody. Um, well, I just want to send a huge thank you uh, to our panelists. This was a tremendous uh, discussion, and hopefully everybody listening in got a lot of value from it out there. Um, lots coming up in 2022, uh, you know, a lot of the same and some also new predictions out there. So um, huge thank you to each of you for joining me today. Um, and I look forward to, I'm sure, talking to folks in the future. But thank you again.